uh, use everybody's time wisely. That's uh, no problem. Oh, hi, Abe. Hi, Adam. We're in downtown Indy. We're at the PRI show. We're at the other Marriott. I didn't know there the were other, two Marriotts. Yeah, it's I. You can get confused. There's the JW and right this there. one. Yeah, right there. Like two right. doors they, down. Right. They don't so, make it easy. Yeah. So uh, we're with Jeff Braun. Uh, this is our third or fourth time with you on the show. Um, twice yeah. in person. Yeah. We did maybe and two one floors. Yep. One floor. Yep. I don't remember. But, yep. Um, so we're, uh, yeah, we're hanging out. It's Friday at the PRI show. We just had uh, NATA town hall that went well, which had some meetings. And now we're squeezing in the side project of, Yet another of, podcast. The, of the podcast. This is going to be roughly podcast number 300, too. Wow. We're within a couple episodes. Yep. So, wow. Congratulations. Uh, may, maybe Jeff gets to be 300 if he Maybe we'll just win the, the war of attrition. <laughs> there you go. That's, no, that's awesome. Congrats. Um, so how's the show been for you, sir? Um, good. I just... Um, been cruising around and a while back well when i first took colin to the show when he was a little guy yeah we walked walked around and after about 20 minutes he goes dad i think you know like everybody here and yeah. it's like it seems that way so it's good mm-hmm. to get it's it's a good time for me to catch up with people that i see at the racetracks yeah. but you you're walking by between sessions and right. you wave to them and hi and you do that for yeah Eight months out of the year, and, and once you never a year, get to talk. You like have a beer, but that's it, right? Yeah. This time I can actually talk. Well, so yeah. how was your year? And you yeah. know, talk to people and all that's of cool. that. So it's good to good to catch up. There's a lot less of the technology and parts yeah. that I'm interested in now. Well, you're dealing with prototype level stuff. It's yeah, and the and the problem is you, you got to go to like France for that. <laughs> and even that, the, the problem is, I see some of this cool stuff that I that's really interesting. You know, you walk by a booth and you're like, "Wow, that's really yeah. cool!" But I can't use it yeah. because we're homologated spec. You know, whether you're yeah. talking GTD or LMP2 or even DPI, right? It's so tightly homologated that if I see a new data system or display that looks really yeah. cool and high tech, not allowed, can't use it. So, Everything is that spec. So yeah. what's funny is right before we walked over here, um, we were standing at the, the next gen booth and I, I look over and um, I, Wayne Taylor and one of his colleagues is sitting in the, on the couch and uh, at IMSA at Mid-Ohio through a friend, uh, I got invited to dinner with Wayne Taylor, which was super cool. And I, I look over at Adam and I was like, hey, you want to go talk to him? Um, Wait. Wait. Way more intimidating than uh, Jeff Braun. I know Jeff Braun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Wayne's an intimidating guy. Yeah, he had cool blue sunglasses, though. Yeah, well, they were very cool. fashionable intimidating He was guy. very fashionable. Yeah. But uh, at, at dinner, actually, just crazy stories one after another, talking yep. about McLaren and IndyCar and just... It, someday, someday, I think it'd be cool to get him on the show also. Yeah. The, well, like the, we, we know somebody who knows him now, so that's cool. He's a good guy. I, I first did... I did shocks for Wayne when he was driving the Danka Mazda rotary car for Jim Downing. Really? Yeah. That was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. But uh, yeah. uh, that uh, was probably, what, a early mm. 80s? I'm going to say maybe, I'm hoping more like, yeah, maybe mid-80s. Okay. Yeah, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yep. Two-rotor rotary-powered car? Oh, yeah. Three-rotor? I don't know. They all sound kind of cool. But, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. It I'm, might have been. It probably was the two rotor yeah. car. Yeah, the, the, most of the early ones were two rotors. Yeah. Anyway. Um, the uh, you you raced against him a little bit this year. Uh, well, yes, yeah, yeah, yes, we, a little bit. Yeah. How was your season? Your. Uh, well, your, can we talk about 2018? That would be more fun. Sure, <laughs> sure. We could talk about. I think because we, we missed 2018. We did. We we couldn't. Care, or maybe we missed 2019. 
No, 18 was last year. It's not 20 yet. Is right. It? Everything so, says 2020 so, everywhere. I don't know what year it is. <laughs> so so to me, when petite, when the checkered flag flies at Petite, right. then that was last year. Yes. So last year was 2019 okay. for me, which is currently this year. Yes. A few the, more weeks. The calendar year. Right. But 2018, yeah, 2018 was a good year for us. We had the LMP2 Orica, and that's when... Core Autosport. Core uh, Autosport with Colin... My son Colin and John Bennett driving. Yep, um, and that's when the LMP2 cars were still allowed in right. DPI. Yep, and we may have ruined that possibility yeah. because we won a couple races. We had three poles. Um, yeah, you were on a burner of a year. Almost won the championship. Missed yeah. it by one. Missed it by. Well, we were leading the championship with. Four and a half minutes to go. Yeah, in the race at Petit. Yeah, we had to make a pit stop. They didn't because IMSA had changed our fuel capacity and okay. lowered our fuel capacity. That's always fun before the race. So you didn't pull like the smoky eunuch trick and put the basketball and deflate it in the tank. Yeah, really? <laughs> the problem is they checked that really close. I so, would imagine at Petit Le Mans, it's no, it's no wing it. Yeah, show for and IMSA. we had just won two months before that. We had yeah. won Road America on fuel mileage. Okay. And they tore that fuel car apart yeah. and couldn't find anything. The, yeah. the key was Colin being able to get some unbelievable fuel mileage. Jeff is not winking at us. There's, there's nothing hidden here. Nope, nope. <laughs> it's, it was legit. Um, the fuel mileage, and, and with the LMP2 car, there's no adjustment for fuel mixture. Okay. Like the DPI cars have a fuel, you know, they can run leaner, richer, really? whatever. The LMP2 Cockpit car, adjustable, too? Yeah, yeah, it's a okay. it's a fuel map like you have in an Indy yeah, car, yeah, you yeah. know, where it's like fuel map. It's uh, not something you guys have to do from the sidelines, huh? Nope. Wow. Nope. Can you but imagine a, driving one of those things and playing with fuel maps at the same no, time? No, I can't. <laughs> like, we can barely drive, like, Mitsubishi Evos and Hondas. <laughs> well, they have, you know, uh, yeah, and then you add in the traction control, and there's two traction control knobs, different, right. different right. modes and stuff. But anyway, so we had a great 2018. Yeah. Um, the problem was the manufacturers didn't like the fact you know mm-hmm. acura mazda nissan and general motors didn't right. like the fact that a little team from rock hill south carolina with a you know a dad and his kid and a gentleman driver right nearly won the championship yeah, and you a were privateer was that a gibson powered car gibson, so it yep. wasn't even like a production car exactly no 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 association with manufacturer nope really. yeah nope so okay. it was a i mean it was a your stock LMP2 car. Spec LMP2, yep. yeah. And they said, when DPI first came out, they said they wanted the LMP2 cars to be part of that class. Yeah. And what they would do is they would balance all of those cars down or up, whatever it took, to the level of a LMP2 car. Okay. So they used us as the benchmark. Yeah. And as we started to figure things out, there was three other LMP2 cars in the series. We started, they started to be kind of down at the bottom and okay. we were running at the top so there's a big split between the best lmp2 car and yeah. the normal lmp2 cars so they started to raise the level of the dpis okay up to us yes yeah, so you were doing too well we were that means you had to do well you had to be perfect all the time right yeah. and then so what happened is the mazda this is 2018 again <clears throat> the mazda ended up not having excuse me, not having enough performance to keep up with the group. Yeah. So then they had to now bring down everybody to the Mazda because the Mazda was maxed out. And so 
they actually had to bring the LMP2 car, us, plus the other DPIs back down a little yep. bit. And then we won Mossport, we won Road America, and there was a lot of grumbling from the manufacturers because, yeah. <laughs> you know, they have to pay a big fee to IMSA to be part of the series. And you guys don't. We don't to. because we're, we weren't a manufacturer. You're just driving a car you have. We're just an independent team. We had literally seven people on our team, yeah. and that was it. And, That's crazy. And we're... Le- you know, leading the championship yeah. and won more races than Penske. It almost harkens back to like the the early days of road racing, where like yeah, Jeff shows up with his station wagon, his open trailer, and he like he beats the big boys. It was not quite that <laughs> no, way, not but, quite, but, but yeah. I mean, we we never went to one shaker rig. We never went to one wind tunnel test. We never did. Our simulation was done by a friend of mine who lives in Germany who did it remotely from right. us for us. Oh, cool. So. It was it was yeah. a small little operation of super creative, aggressive people. Yeah, and and you're going against Penske at the highest levels of road racing in the country. Yep, yep. and won more races and did better than. And with the cool thing about the Penske was they had the same car as us. Okay, there was an Orica, we had an Orica. Okay. They had a Acura Turbo in theirs. Yep. We had the Gibson. Same basic chassis though. Yep, same yeah. exact. Okay. Same suspension, same everything. Yep. Okay. So, so anyway, that was good. Then IMSA said, and I don't know this for sure, but I'm going to say it. They there was so much pressure that they got from the manufacturers that they had to split the classes. They yeah. had to take the P2 cars away from the DPIs. Okay, and DPI was kind of getting st- stronger. It looked like right. So it looked like they could do that and not hurt for car count. So we were kind of stuck. What do we do? Do we go brace P2? Uh, it didn't look like there were going to be many cars. Yeah. My car owner, John Bennett, didn't, you know, he had just competed for the championship in DPI. He kind of wanted It seems to, like he's in it for, like, the fun and, like, the, the joy of it, too, from everything you've said. Loves driving. Yeah. Loves competing. He also owns the um, GTLM cars. The Porsche factory GTLM yeah. cars are run by Core. So he's yeah. he's in the racing business, and he... Yeah. Um, but he likes driving the prototype, and and he did. I mean, a lot of people failed to see that. He did an amazing job mm-hmm. in 18 because was, there was no amateur component to the DPI class. Yeah, it wasn't a pro-am thing. No, he would start the race against, you know, Juan Montoya and yeah. Dane Cameron and Philippe Albuquerque, yeah. and that was that's who he was competing against so at the cool. start of the race. Um, yeah. So anyway... They split the class, and John was like, oh, I don't know if I really want to do that. Go, you know, go back to yeah. P2. There didn't look like there would be many entries. So Scott Sharp and the whole ESM um, Patron deal was closing right. when Patron pulled out of motor racing, basically. Yeah. So the Nissans became available. The DPIs became available. They... They wouldn't be our first choice, but okay. they were like our only choice. We couldn't get an Acura. Penske had an exclusive deal with Acura for really? three years. Okay. So we couldn't get an Acura. Uh, Mazda wasn't for sale. They, they were still working on their program to upgrade it to the current yeah. higher standard, which they did quite nicely this year. Right. And uh, Cadillac had sold their... They had six cars as a maximum they could support from an engine standpoint. Yeah. So we were either P2... Or get the Nissans, and right. 
John decided to get the Nissans. And so that brings us to 2019 this yeah. year. And it was a struggle. Um, they had elevated the whole DPI class performance up quite a bit from yeah. 18 to 19. Okay. Like on an average track, what are we talking lap time wise? Two seconds. Yeah, that's a big jump. Yeah, big jump. So you guys were you were at Mid Ohio. How fast is a DPI lap time at Mid Ohio? Uh, you're gonna make me try to remember back. Uh, Mid Ohio. You were there, right? Yeah, no, I was there. Yeah. I'm trying to think. One thirteen. That's boogie. Yeah, that's I think thirteen. What is, what is our record for time attack cars? Is twenty three. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. For one lap, he's got to do it for three, four, whatever, uh, whatever the yeah. length is. <laughs> like Road, Road Atlanta yep. is one we just. I mean, we were running one tens. Yeah, at Road Atlanta, so fast. Some one oh nines, and that's that's qualifying pace or race pace. Race pace was high tens, low elevens, <laughs> over and over <laughs> and over. He's just yeah. on another planet. Yeah, it's so crazy. Well, the the, the DPI cars now. So we switched tire from Continental in 18 to Michelin Michelin's. in 19. That was worth a second just <clears throat> just immediately. I got you a whole second. Yeah. Wow. Then the performance of the cars, they lowered the weight and increased the power of all yeah. the DPIs. And power is in the range of? Uh, 620. Okay. Yeah. 650, depending. And they, and they changed that from weekend to weekend sure. based on their balance of performance calculations after yeah. every race to try to balance them out. They'll, they'll mess with weight and power yeah. okay. to each weekend to try to balance the cars. Do you think that there's strategizing by like teams to, to try and influence how they're <laughs> going to be given BOP? <laughs> um, I'm only laughing because that, what you just described there, is probably the single most labor-intensive, biggest part of our race weekend yeah much more than trying to find the right setup figuring out how to make the tires last you're literally playing the balance of performance game that is that that, is the competition that is the competition you've nailed it exactly right the competition you you can do that roundy round check the lap timer thing yeah that part's easy (laughs) yeah exactly the the literally after a race weekend i would spend the next three days in my office three days you know 10 hour days working on nothing but BOP calculations. Now, we were a little team again. when We, were, we had the Nissan, but we had, we had support from Nissan. I don't want to say no support. They were interested, but they were not a technical partner right. in any way. Right. They right. supplied an engine. What is that engine based on? It's the GT3R. Is okay. that a, that's a Nissan, the, right? GT3R. V6. V6, yeah. V6 twin turbo. Yeah. It's the one that goes in there. It's basically the same engine out of their uh, Japanese GT500. Okay. Um, race car. The race car yeah. that they, you know. It's still big, like sort of production-based V6 it's stuff. A GT, it's a GT3 engine, yeah. and, and it's yeah. really the only true GT3 engine in DPI. Yeah. So it's big. Yeah. It's heavy. What, what is it? 3.8? 3.5? What's the liter? Uh, yeah, 3.8, three I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like loosely based on a GTR engine. It is. It's the GTR engine. Yep, and it's it's a big engine. Those things are wide too. It's like from me to you wide. Yeah. Oh, really wide and high, high CG and very heavy. Yeah. So bad weight distribution, real high. Right. Not like a little 
four-cylinder Mazda. Right. Or even the Acura, which is packaged much, yeah. much or better. Or a purpose-built, like, Gibson engine. You know, right. Literally a motorsports V8 yeah. or whatever. So we were, again, a small team. We had no support from Nissan from, you know, no vehicle dynamics, no aerodynamics, yeah. no anything. Um, so we were doing it kind of all on our own. And the whole the whole performance was elevated to the to try to split the LMP2 cars from the DPIs and get two or three seconds between them. Yeah, yeah. So everybody got faster. Yeah. And the problem was the Nissan full out as fast as we could go there was we couldn't we couldn't reach that performance yeah. level so we work on this balance of performance we can you you have to analyze every other car what they did every lap mm-hmm. what their segment times were in all the segments of the track cuz so how do you capture that data from the other teams so imsa in all of these tracks there's timelines yeah. yeah and yeah, their break the track up into sectors usually anywhere from eight to 12 sectors okay. are, are broken up and so we not only get the lap time data we get the sector data live streaming to us through yeah. every practice qualifying in the race is it your responsibility to capture all that yes okay yep but there's they don't say oh here's your card without everybody's data uh no we don't get their actual data yeah yeah you know we don't get their throttle position traces no and i mean yeah, like that, their sector data which imsa know. captures also by the way yeah they have data recorders on all the cars. Right. <laughs> so there's a separate IMSA data recorder on every car. Yeah, yeah. And that is sent by telemetry back to IMSA live real time during the race. So they can look at every car's throttle position, every car's fuel map setting, every car's brake performance. It's pro, all pro stuff. It's so crazy. Yeah. And so they... they that eat, tower is actually full of people doing things. They yeah. actually have a separate, like, timing stand... If you go to an IMSA race and you look at about start finish on pit lane, there'll be an IMSA stand. It looks like a regular racer's stand with people and right. monitors and all of that. That's IMSA technical department, and mm-hmm. they sit there and they monitor, like the turbo cars. Our car, yeah. there's boost limits. They're looking for overboost. They're looking for absolutely, everything. and they will come and they will send us. All the teams are connected by essentially an instant messenger right. program, and they'll type in a thing. You know, car 54, you have three overboosts, two more, and you have a drive-through penalty. Yeah. And then we got to back it down. So the team is backing backing that. So you're you're trying to find that limit, and you're as close as you can get. And with a turbo car, some of that depends on atmospheric pressure, and it depends on elevation and everything. We have to compensate for all of that. So we have have one guy. We have uh, a super smart guy. uh, Steve. Steve, that's that's his job, Steve. <laughs> Our guy happens to be named Henry, and Henry is Henry sounds smarter than Steve anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Henry Henry Henry's pretty smart. I mean, he's he, he has to watch not only the boost levels, but there's also a lambda range, so yep. a fuel mixture range, because oh, okay. yeah. they don't want people running too lean or too rich to try to to for various reasons. One to save fuel to make it to a, a fuel window. Or to hide performance. Right. Just lean the thing out. Yeah, that's as fast as we can go. You need to give us more power for the next race. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. And they're like, no, no, you were running way too lean. You can go quicker than that. We know you can. Yeah. <laughs> Do they so, watch ignition timing and everything? Uh, they Not maybe live, right. but at the end of the race, they pull all the data. And so they can see ignition timing. They can see yeah. injector firings. They can see 
everything from uh, they see our we have laser ride height sensors on the car that measure the ride height <laughs> of, of the car. Of course you do. <laughs> they, they look at your ride height sensors yeah. because they have all the aero maps because yeah. all the cars have to go to the wind tunnel yep. and be mapped. And so they know the drag, the downforce. They know the characteristics of the car in yaw. They it's, know the range of wing angles, what we can run. So last time we recorded with Jeff Live, he talked about... Um, being at an oval track, had to check the ride height, and then you do the left and the right, and the chunk of wood falls out. Yeah, like, it's so different what you're doing now yeah. versus 35 years ago. Or now they've yeah. they've prevented that by there's a no wood blocks allowed. No, we have we have wood under the car. <laughs> yeah, we have a big plank under the car that has to be yeah, 20 millimeters thick. Yeah, and so basically that plank starts out at 20 millimeters and it has to come in at 15 you can only wear it's, yeah it's the skid plate right yeah. and so you can only wear a certain amount off so it's there's no super, ride height rule super dense jab rock stuff yep 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 so and you you know so what do you do on tracks that are especially bumpy um, you have to somehow figure out sebring's i know where you're going sebring is yeah. super bumpy you got to go 12 especially hours in that there. one spot yeah yeah one really bad spot yeah so we got to go 12 hours at Sebring, and we have to make sure we don't wear more than five millimeters off of that plank. Because if you do, you're thrown out. Yeah. So they don't care what ride height you run. Like a lot of race groups will have a you know, minimum ride height, two and a half inches or four inches or so whatever So you're trying to find that balance of wear it off versus be too high and arrow's messed up and center right. of gravity. And, yeah. Lower is better for the aerodynamics and center of gravity, yeah, as yeah. you say. So we're trying to run as low as possible. So then what you... Th- you can do that. You can run stiffer, right? But then you're on a bumpy track, so it's yeah. not as good. Car's so a little it's, worse. Yeah. For me as an engineer, that's the fun part. Yeah. You know. Okay. And you're still allowed to play with all that stuff. You can play with all of that. Yep. Like you can throw a different set of springs on and a different set of shocks, springs, and valving, and all that stuff. Bars, shocks, valving. Now we can't change the brand of shock. Right. That's homologated, but we can change the internal valving. We can change okay. the external settings. Obviously. Yeah. Springs. Uh, spring rates, anti-roll bar, anti-roll bar rates. Uh, we have third springs on the car. Yeah. Which third are element stuff. Third and, element, which yeah. are basically a ride height control. Right. We can change the, the bump rubbers and the packers and the engagements yeah. of all of that. Aerodynamically, we can change the rear wing angles. On the front, there's some small, you can change the dive planes, right. the number of them. Okay. Not the shape or size, but you can run zero or yeah. one of them or two of them. So you're still playing that competition. And IMSA yeah. will actually restrict some of the aero bits okay. um, for the balance of performance. If right. one car has more downforce than the other, they might not let them run two dive planes. They right. might only be able to run one. Has, it, has there ever been a problem with, uh, with the prototype stuff that you've done where somebody took away aero and wanted to make a straight line bullet? Daytona every year. Every, well, yeah. Like, does it get too bad the other direction? Yep. So what happens at Daytona is the aero rules for Daytona are to prevent you from trimming it out too much. Right. The aero rules for the other tracks are to prevent you from adding okay. too much downforce. And this isn't like you know, purely about sports car racing, but the and I'm not not like the hugest Indy car fanatic, but mm-hmm. uh, we are in Indianapolis, and I Indy car oval track racing to me is terrifying because yeah. those cars they have downforce but they have as little as possible because they want to go as fast as you possibly yeah. can. So any still touch not crash or it. any bump or whatever will just send the car completely into the wall. Absolutely. Yeah. I did I did race engineered IndyCars for eight years. Yeah. And did a lot of 
did the 508 years. Yeah. And you've described it exactly right. It's, it is. Build the fastest car that doesn't kill you, right? Right. It is (laughs) sketchy, sketchy. You know, a qualifying lap in India is flat, is flat everywhere, but as free as possible. So it's not like flat, just I got so much downforce. This is easy. It's flat. Like. I, I think I really need to lift. I know I don't. Uh, you know, it's it's, it's one of terrifying. those. Oh it's absolutely gosh. terrifying. It is. Yeah. So I ran. We're kind of going all over the place. No, here. it's so fine. Get That's me what back we do on here. track if you need. That's me what to. we do here. I ran McKaylee Alberado yep. at the at the speedway one year, and he had just come from Formula One from Ferrari. And yeah. He nearly won the world championship, and you know he's one of the was one of the top Formula One drivers of all time, and certainly in our Ferrari. Yeah. And so, super skilled, super experienced, seen and done everything. He comes to IndyCar for the first time, and he's my driver, and he's yeah. a rookie at the Speedway. And so he's got to do orientation too. He's got to do all yeah, of that yeah. stuff. And and so, after a couple of days, he we were sitting there. Indies. That's when it was still the month of May, a yeah. true month. You'd practice for two weeks yeah. straight, weeks and, and weeks of work. Yeah. And, yeah. and so there was lots of downtime, and he's telling stories and. There's a track in Formula One, um, is it Monza, Imola, Imola maybe. Okay. Tamburillo is a corner. It's that's Imola. the Imola. It's the most daunting corner in Formula One. It was at the time. It was, you know, it, it was it was the corner, which is almost flat at top speed right. in sixth gear, just super super sketchy, and. That's what everybody talked about. Or you could use, he said, same thing with Eau Rouge sure. at, at well, Spa. I, I, Ashley, my wife and I really have really started to enjoy watching Formula One this year. And the corner that always just makes me crazy, actually, is uh, Suzuka 130R. Where the cars are doing 195, and they're flat <laughs> yep. through this crazy corner. Yeah, Like, I can't imagine. It, it really makes me, like... Um, having driven for time attack in, in slower cars, obviously, it makes me appreciate the level of commitment it takes to do that mm. in a machine like that. TV it, almost makes it look too easy, though. My brain. You hear these stories, work. yeah. This is the stuff where, where it like shows you, okay, that is not that's, easy. Yeah, that, you couldn't do that. He, yeah, <laughs> you know? that's what he was saying. That's, that's what McKaylee was saying. He goes like, Tamburillo is like everybody's like, oh, it's just like, and that's this is the, like all of that. Suck it up. Yeah, and he says. So that was a daunting thing. And he goes, you know what Indy is? He's sitting there in the garage. He goes, Indy says, is like Tamburillo every 10 seconds. <laughs> over and over and right. over, over, over. Turn one, turn two, yeah. turn three. He goes, it is, we're doing a lap here in 45 seconds around yep. Indy, a two and a half mile lap in 45 yep. seconds. And he's like, it is just insane how the commitment it takes to do a lap around Indy because you are, you know, if, if, if he would come in and say, there's a lot of times he would, we'd say, okay, that was flat. And he'd go, yeah, way too easy, flat, way too easy. Okay. <laughs> so then you have to trim it out because you gain some speed and yeah. you free up the car in the middle of the corner. And so you that's go your quicker. process is get it as fast as he thinks he can do it flat. Right. That's and then how there you were, qualify. and there's actually times this, and this is where the data acquisition really comes in good at Indy and stuff like that, is where it's sometimes quicker if you lift. Right. Really? Seem, yeah. It seems weird. but Yeah, that seems counterintuitive. A lot of drivers will 
if you're trying to do it flat, right? Especially at Indy or any high speed oval, NASCAR the same way. Yeah. The steering wheel is a big brake. Oh yeah. Because if you turn a little bit, if you have an understeering car, you turn a little bit, and you turn a little bit more, it scrubs the car. Makes, it slows it down. Makes sense. So you can actually go around a corner at Indy flat and put a little more wheel into it okay. and be slower than if you just lift a little bit, free the car up, and back on the gas and go through the corner with less yeah. scrub. So uh, I just had to look this up. All right. Um, at Wikipedia's list of fastest lap times at IMS. Yeah. Uh from what I can see, fastest time is 1996, uh, 38.119 at 236 miles per hour. Ari That's Landyke. Eddie Cheever Jr.? Hmm, that would have been in the race. That, oh, that, probably in the race, yeah. That must be a race lap because Leyendike qualified at – Leyendike actually did a practice lap at almost 240. Ugh. That's silly. We were going to... 15 years ago. That year. That's yeah. the year that I ran McKaylee in 96. Yeah. We were actually going 256 on the straightaways. Right. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Is that, is that maxed out no more RPM? Yeah, that was... Or aero drag? Like, what's Well, it was there? just... We, we ran... We would run... For qualifying, we would run three top gears. All yeah. about 50 RPM difference. That close. Yeah. Because depending on the wind direction, yeah, it you'd pick the gear, and a lot it's, of times you'd need one. We actually, and I'm sure they're way more advanced. I, I've, I've been out of IndyCar racing for 15 years. Yeah, yeah. But back then it was pretty cool. We had um, three top gears within 50 rpm. Yeah, That's crazy. we had weather stations. We had one on the back straight, yeah. and one on the front straight that gave us the wind direction and wind speed. And it was sent wirelessly back to our pit stand, and we had these two weather weather boxes that yeah. we could look at. And so we knew we would actually change gear ratios in the garage before we went out to practice based on the current wind speed. Man. And air density. We would check the air density, you know, like the drag racers right. do to tune their, their injection or their carburetors. Yep. We'd check air density for downforce. To see how much air you had to move. Because if you lost, if the air density changed 2% right. and the air was 2% thinner, you had 2% less downforce yeah. and 2% less drag. And at 235 miles an hour, that's a big deal. So yep. you would actually change wing angle. Before we even went out, we would go, okay, the air density is 2% less than it was two hours ago right. before lunch. We're going to change these wing angle settings and our ride height to get the same dynamic ride height. Because if it's thinner, right. it's not pushing the car down as much. Now you lose the aerodynamics under the car so you, you need have to lower the, the car and do you have all the data from like a wind tunnel to tell you what changes mean what yeah we yeah. we have the data for center of pressure changes mm -hmm. for how much wing we put in the front or the rear okay uh, ride height changes and then back in those days and i'm sure it's similar today there were lots of bits you could put on you could put little wickers here or little tire ramps in front of the rear tires or okay. big tire ramps or little deflectors or little vortex generators Good and creep. each one had a different effect on both drag and downforce so you were looking for the most efficient way to make the downforce right. so, so, um, so i'm in my regular life not my race car life i'm kind of a, a material specialist and i've got a material science background um I, in in that era, I'm not sure if the cars were turbocharged or not, but I know they are today. And one of the, mm -hmm. I think one of the kind of amazing technical challenges about cars in this era is 
how do you make a how do you make an exhaust manifold that runs on a turbo car with like a million uh, degrees Celsius EGTs and make it run for a few hours without like cracking or breaking or warping or whatever? Like the failure rate on that stuff seems so low. What was your yeah? What was like the the mechanical problems that you'd have back then was that even a thought in qualifying? Yeah, or? I mean, this was a what engine were you running back then? So that was the Cosworth days, okay. And we ran so that was the last year of it was the first year of the IRL cart okay. split, yeah. And we ran the current, we ran the 95. Champ cars or 95 cart cars okay. in IRL the first year in yep. 96. And so that's when you had Reynard and Lola. Yeah. And you had the Cosworth engines. And it was, you know, you know a lot more about the material science than me, but it was not a problem. That's so weird. They were and, just reliable, huh? And the turbos were housed in the bell housing between really? the engine and the gearbox. Yeah. Nate. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. So, so they overbuilt stuff a little bit, huh? Yeah, it was yeah. they were super, super reliable. Yeah. I don't remember. Uh, I remember the worst problem we had was getting, uh, was keeping the engine coolant temperature at the right temperature. You could overheat that. You could get stuff jammed in the, especially race day. You get wrappers and you know yeah, all that kind Frito of stuff. Bags. Yeah, yeah, lodged in there. We had a. A cool story. The, the the openings to the radiators had like a scalloped kind of panel to it. Right. And we put panels in there to block it off. So you'd have a, a four-inch panel, another four-inch panel, another four-inch panel. And they kind of went in with, with like buttonhead screws that you mm -hmm. put them in to block it off. You're not actually like zip tying cardboard to it like I do? No. Okay. No. Because <laughs> I did that. Yeah. Well, Got a black deck. Whatever works. Yeah, whatever works. So we would put these panels in there <clears throat> and you'd always start the race blocked off more than you really wanted. Right. Or then you would need at the end when the screens got full of rubber and all okay. that kind of stuff. So that's something you can remove. Not easily at that time. Right. So what we did this, this, there, there's little tabs from the carbon panel that go into where it's screwed in. Yeah. And what the mechanics would do is they would drill small, like, eighth-inch holes around the tab to make, make it, it fragile. Snap it off. So huh? they could reach in and just rip it out. Yeah. And it was always the— Fix the, it later, huh? Exactly. Repair yeah. it or whatever it later. together for next time. So my mechanics were always, like, before every pit stop, they're looking up, can we rip one out? Because they, yeah. they just love that. You know, change a tire, throw the air gun out, reach in and just rip part of the car off <laughs> before they send it. Yeah. Like, no, not yet. Just wait. Just wait. Not yet. They, that was their that was yeah. their thing. They wanted to rip one of those away. So anyway, we were going, kind of went around to the BOP thing. It's yeah. back to the to that BOP, it's it's what we spent the most time on, which that is, is really sad, really sad, because we used to get back from a race and look at our data and go, okay, I could have done, I should have run this spring, I wish I would have done this with the aerodynamics. Yeah. Man, I don't understand this good enough, I want to go test this and try this and figure out how to make our yeah. car go faster. Now we spend the first part of the week trying to figure out how to make everybody else go slower. You're playing a different game. Yeah, yeah. it's, and, and and with us, it was just me and one other guy, yep. Chris Lowe from, from Ligier. We, the, the Nissan was based off of Ligier. 
And Ligier gave us great support with Max Crawford and Chris Lowe. And That's the only Ligier chassis, right? Correct. That was running, yeah. Yeah. So they gave us really good support. We would, But we had to make a BOP document that every manufacturer must submit to IMSA, usually on Thursday after a race. And it's basically our argument or analysis of what we saw and what right. we thought. Then IMSA takes that with their own data okay. and comes out with what the changes are going to be next for the race. next race. Yeah. And so we're analyzing everybody else, where we're good, where we're bad, and then we make suggestions, and every other manufacturer does the same thing. Yeah. So we spent a lot of, a lot of time on that. The problem was, like you said, the manipulation of that data, because we get the data, it yep. comes streaming across from IMSA to us, all the segment data and everything else comes streaming across to us. We capture that. There's a couple software packages, commercially available software packages, um, race tools and HH. You, most teams either use one or the other and you buy those packages or license those packages. Right. And then you can manipulate this data all sorts of different ways. Okay. Uh, graph it or you know it's it's like excel for race data basically right so we look at all of that try to see where we're better where we're worse and send that off the thing is the teams will manipulate that during the race because they know that data is coming in so if you get a, a great example this year mid ohio we pitted early uh, it was a strategy call. We pitted early and got John Bennett out of the car and put Colin in the car Yeah, at like 15 minutes into the race because it opened our window at the right spot and we knew we were going to struggle. So we got Colin in early. He pulls out of the pits 15 minutes into the race, a lap down about fourth in the queue. Right. So three cars ahead of him that are a lap ahead of him. Right. So our goal is at that point to get ahead of those cars so that if a yellow comes out we get to come all the way back to the back of the back of the pack because if you're okay if you're yeah. stuck there in third a lap buy down you that part of that lap then yep. you can't get around so colin charges hard and he passes i can't remember he passes whatever he finally passes montoya for the lead Montoya's leading, but we pass Montoya. Now we're a lap. Yeah. You're we're not we're just seven under eights a, a lap, lap down. Yeah, yeah. Right. Sure. Yeah. And then our goal was we know we're not going to just drive a whole lap and catch them all. We need to wait for a yellow. So we start to save fuel. Colin starts to slow down to, yeah. to, wait, to wait for a yellow. Watching Montoya in his rearview mirror to make sure that, you know, if Montoya is going to pass him, we don't want to let him let Montoya back by us. Now, Montoya's leading the race. We're a lap down. Colin starts to slow down a couple tenths of a lap. Montoya's not making an attempt. A couple more tenths, nobody's making an attempt. Half a second, nobody's making an attempt. So they're watching attempt. you too. They're just slowing down, and the whole pack is slowing down. Montoya, the second-place guy, third-place guy, fourth-place guy. Colin's slowing this whole pack down. We're, suddenly we're running a second slower than what we can run, and the whole pack's slowing down. Nobody wants to pass them because nobody wants to yeah. show – the performance of their car because it'll show up in all this data that comes out on Monday and show that they need to be slowed down because they're too fast. This actually brings me uh, to a question that I really wanted to ask. Um, I love motorsports and um, I I love watching Formula One, but one of the things that's that's really off-putting to me, um, not only in Formula One, but some of the sports car series is like when a car sets a track record at Coda, 
and it's the fastest any vehicle has ever gone on this surface ever. And that's qualifying pace. And then I see race pace eight seconds slower than that. It's like, it's not sexy to think that cars are like just cruising along. Like they're, they're still going fast, but they're just cruising along. And like this. Is it really that different? Eight seconds yeah. or so? Wow. And so like this notion that cars, even in an endurance series, are are like going like hell and just going 10 tenths for four hours. That's not that's not what's happening. And I understand nope. the, the design constraint of we need to save fuel. And I understand the strategy of the game. But I I just love watching sprint racing where where the goal is to just go as fast as you can. It's, yeah. I, I'm with you. I mean, I agree. Our, our races. So our normal races in IMSA are two hours and 40 minutes, yep. which we call a sprint race because we have a six hour, 12 hour, 10 hour, yeah, 24, 24 hour. hour. So a 240 is a sprint race. It's basically two pit stops, yeah, sometimes three. So, But you're still playing that, that game with data. And normally, like when we ran LMPC, which was a spec class, no BOP, or mm-hmm. LMP2, it's flat out as fast as you can go. Yeah. Obviously, if you have a 20-second lead, you're not going to take risks. You're going to back it off a little bit. Sure. Or if you're in a situation where you need to save a little fuel to make a fuel window so you can reduce your pit stops by one during the race. still strategy and mechanical sympathy. But But you're not doing it to try to hide performance. Where in DPI now, it's all about hiding performance. You'll see, because we plot the lap times and the sector times, by lap. So lap one to 10, here were the sector, sector one, here were the times. If you look at sector one on the last 10 laps, they're much faster, way faster, oh, yeah, yeah. Way faster. only because nobody wants to have a hundred laps of fast. They want to show 10 laps yeah. of fast. I think that's kind of what, um, uh, what we're attempting to get at with GLTC, right? Is yeah, 15 wheel, minutes flag to flag. Our wheel to wheel series is a super sprint. And awesome. so it's and a. That's awesome. You know, yeah. The beginning of the race is always exciting, and the end of the race is always exciting. And so there's only a couple laps. In the Make them the same. Yeah. That's, that's To me, that is yeah. fantastic. It's IMSA misses it because qualifying is not used for BOP. Specifically, they say that. It's all, not. It's not. Okay. A lot of people don't. So. So they don't take that data, they yeah. seg- segment data and all the stuff that makes the balance of performance calculations for qualifying. They f- that's, it's, it's like it never happened. They, yeah. They're blind to it, which allows teams to go run as fast as they can run yeah. in qualifying. Which, which I think is super cool. Right. I, I, I agree. We, we did a, a Mossport this year. We put a big effort in because we were not... Our car was too heavy. We couldn't get it light enough to make the balance of performance right. numbers that IMSA wanted. So we were kind of screwed. So yep. we we made an effort at Mossport to right. try to go for pole. We needed some shot in the arm for the team and our sponsors and our car owner. Yeah. So we put a big effort in to try to get pole. Our car was never usually fast enough. Yeah. And we did. We got pole. We beat the Acura by .02. Colin did a lap that was... If, if anybody wants to, it's got to be out there. If they go, I know it's on YouTube, um, qualifying from Mossport 2019. There's a there's a show that IMSA puts out. Watch the DPI qualifying because that lap was, I mean, there's a section. Hero lap stuff. Huh? Comes up over the hill in turn two, and the, the right rear wheel is off the ground and lands at the bottom of turn two. Two and then bounces and I mean it was a yeah, lap. I remember seeing that. I okay. watched that video. Yeah, it was a lap. Yeah, 
pretty pretty cool lap. I've been a fan of Colin. He's fun to watch when he's, he's driving. <laughs> well, that lap they said was faster. Was the fastest lap. I'm not sure it ever run at Mossport. It might have been. It, anyway, it beat the Audi R10 lap record. Really? Right? Yeah, in a DPI. So people remember the Audis. And in the DPI, that's like not the best DPI. Right. That was not the best DPI. <laughs> that's cool. So people remember, you know, these DPI cars are fast. If you remember back to uh, the old days when the, in the ALMS, the end yep. of ALMS with the muscle milk car and the Dyson car and those, those LMP1 cars. Yep. We've broken those track records in the DPI car at every track this mm-hmm. year. That's it's impressive. Yeah. Daytona is another good example. We're running times, DPI times now are equivalent to the old Toyota GTP, Nissan GTP, Silk Cut Jaguar GTP wild, days. Wild old school Same stuff. speed. Yeah. Same, same lap time at Daytona now. What were those cars making too back then? Giant Thousand power. horsepower. Yeah, thousand power. Yeah. Like the whole time. Yeah. Yep. And about the same downforce, but way less efficient. Yeah. The cars now are much more efficient, and the tires yeah. are better. Interesting. Of course. So, so anyway, it's... So what is... Uh, so you're, you're disappointed uh, with the year, but you still did some cool stuff. We did. What, we did. Uh, what does 2020 hold for you? 20, well, so John Bennett at CORE decided that the, with, the, with the way the BOP ran, the way it wasn't balanced well yeah um and the money it takes to do it that the fun versus cost balance was no longer in favor of continuing to do it i saw that yeah Yeah. so So he he shut down the the prototype program at core they're still running the factory porsche gtlm effort which is they had great success they won the championship this year and all of that so that continues. Is he going to drive again next year or no? Nope. John is. That's what I thought. He says retired. Yeah. I know John enough to sticks. know that that about 2 a.m. at Daytona yeah. on race day, he's going to wish he was back in one of those things. So we'll see how long it sticks. Okay. But, but there was really no good place for him to run next right. year. The okay. Nissan was not going to be competitive. Yeah. To make it competitive the way Mazda did in 18. Their car wasn't competitive in 18, and they spent a huge R&D effort with Multimatic to change the car. Okay. And IMSA allowed them to do that, to change the car with whatever in they 18. needed from 18 to 19. Yep. Yeah. They said, look, Mazda, you're, you can't keep up. Yeah. Do whatever you want to make this car better. We'll yep. re-homologate it. And then if it's too fast, we can always slow wait it or slow it down. Yeah, it's, it's easier. easier. And they did a fantastic job. They yeah. that the people at Multimatic are really clever. Yeah, and you've worked with them before. Yep, yeah. yep. At level five, and so I know what they yeah. can do. And they're th- that's about as good an engineering group as it ever get, yeah. as it gets. I just watched a documentary on the uh, the Multimatic like Ford collaboration to get the uh, the new GT program together. Yeah. Ford GT, yep. yeah, super cool. Yep, yep. Yeah, they they're smart. They're smart. So Mazda did that. Mm-hmm. So Nissan, I mean, uh, IMSA basically came to us, as in Core and and Nissan, and said, yeah. "We'll do the same thing." Okay. Just do whatever you need to do at to, the end of this year. At the end of this year, okay. Do whatever you need to do to make this car fast. Yeah. And then we'll balance it out. Yeah. Problem is, it's a very very expensive operation. Yeah. You know, the the design development, uh, super expensive. What do you think it would have needed? 
couple million dollars. Like, my what, guess. what were the big shortcomings? It's not something you just crank that boost up and call it good. No, but. no, no. So the big shortcoming was weight. Okay. So IMSA would, at the end of every weekend, I described how the teams would give their analysis of, yeah. of what they thought. IMSA does theirs, and they have this big algorithm that takes all of that session data and spits out what technically, without any human intervention, just yeah. the numbers, say you need to do to the power and the weight of each car to balance them okay. that weekend. So you couldn't get the car light enough. Exactly. We were at 940 kilos was right. our minimum weight, and our car dry with no ballast was 945 kilos. So okay. we were five kilos overweight. Yeah. So we couldn't, almost every weekend. Dry meaning no gas, nothing? Yep, dry, no yeah, gas. No fuel. No fuel, yeah. uh, no driver. Yeah. And so we would, the, the IMSA numbers usually came out that we needed to be 40 to 50 kilos. Right. So 80, 100 pounds That's a lot lighter to balance us with yeah. everybody else. Well, we couldn't get there physically. Well, you can't just like open the door and cut the panels out and all nope. that stuff. Yeah. Nope. So th- that's the biggest first shortcoming. We have to lob 100 pounds at least off of this car. They wouldn't let you just make more power? Well, so they let us make more power and the Nissan had the most power and we right. were the fastest in the straight line at every track. Right. And that was the only way we kept with even a realm of possibility. But then it probably changes the quality <clears throat> of the racing a little bit too. What what happens yeah. is you for Colin to pass somebody, yeah. he has to do it in the right before the break zone. Right. And then he's got to slow the heaviest car in all of IMSA down yeah. from that high top speed. And then the thing that a lot of people don't understand is a heavy car uses up the tires a lot quicker. Yep. yep. And we're running in IMSA in DPI, a stint is thirty five to forty minutes. And that's the whole that's life it. of the tire. Right. So you're changing tires every 40 minutes. Yeah. If you have worse tire life, that last five laps right. is a disaster. Yeah. And so it becomes just the weight is not only you have to stop it and start yep. it. It burns and it all down. It, yeah. It wrecks the tire. And so we the car would have needed to be lighter. Yeah. It would have needed to have better weight distribution. Right. The engine's too far back and too high. Yeah. So we couldn't get enough weight on the front of the car. Yeah. And it's too big anyway. You can't do a lot with it. Exactly. Because you're in a tiny, you know, you're working in a tiny bubble there. And then aerodynamically, the car was not competitive. Right. It was not as competitive because, and you can see that in LMP2, the Orica is the preferred car. The Ligier is not. And it's mostly because of some shortcomings in in aerodynamics. Okay. So we would have had to change the aero, change the weight. Yeah. And change the weight distribution. Okay. Pretty difficult. So you have to re-engineer a prototype car basically completely. Right. (laughs) And you have to start and you have to be ready to go from the, you know, when we were talking about this, it was the middle of the summer. Right. So you have four months to do it. And you got to spend a couple million bucks. That's a tight timeline. That's a tight timeline. Nissan wasn't interested. Yeah. Because they, they, they never got into this DPI thing. Yeah the way the other manufacturers did as they got into it as a way to sell more engines. Yeah. It's purely it. Mazda, General Motors, and Acura are in it as a technical exercise and a marketing exercise, and they're super behind it. Yeah. Nissan, it's not part of what they're trying to do. So, yeah, it wasn't a part of Nissan's activation in any way. They're just going to sell engines to, right. to a team. And there's and, not a lot of money in that. 
Yeah, and I'm not comp- I'm not complaining at all about Nissan's lack of support. They never, if they would have promised lots of support and not delivered, that'd yeah. be a different thing. They never pretended that they, you know, yeah. hey, we're going to be a supplier of race engines to you. Take it or leave it. Yeah. And we took it, and they they actually probably went above and beyond what they should have done. They sent a, uh, a representative from yeah. Japan to every race. Really? Yep. And he wasn't a technical guy, but at least we had a guy there, which yeah. was like, we're, we're just buying engines from them. They didn't need to send somebody. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, but, you, you pulled up the Kentucky Derby, and there was only one horse left. Right. And you had to ride that horse. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's a great way to put okay. it. So we... So Nissan wasn't going to spend a couple million bucks yeah. to make the car better. Ligier, yeah. who builds the car, knows what it needs. If they spent $2 million, they're going to sell one car to yeah. us. Cause, so it's not economically feasible no. for them. John Bennett, who owns the team, he, he said to me a couple times this year, he goes, here I am running DPI against manufacturers. I'm a little guy from Rock Hill, South Carolina. I'm racing against Mazda. Acura and General Motors. Yeah, uh, I can't spend the money that they can spend, so he's yeah. not going to spend the money it takes. So John just decided there's no place for me to run. Right, LMP two. He could go run that class. To be honest, after running good in DPI, he was not super interested. Right now, he needs to see if, if that class gains some strength. Yeah, I could see maybe after a year off that interests him again and he may come yeah. back and go LMP2 racing. Someday it, thing, yeah. It might come like the old LMPC class, which was fantastic oh, when yeah. you had eight or ten of them and they were a spec class where yeah. there's no BOP and you just race as hard as you could. That was some really good racing. Yeah. So Pete, what are you, what, uh, what you going to do with CORE next year? Um, nothing with CORE. No? Okay. Nope. Nope. I'm, I've... Uh, you don't have anything to do with the Porsche stuff? Or? Nope. Okay. Nope. That's a complete... The... There were two separate teams. Mm-hmm. They're in the same building. They're across the aisle from each other. Right. We shared um, uh, accounting and human resources and and travel people and stuff like that. Yep. But uh, we shared some resources, like the composite people would work on the DPI car yep. and the. But other than that, completely very very. Yeah. You guys didn't pull up in the same truck and share hotel rooms, huh? Nope. Nope. (laughs) Uh, We would. You weren't looking at Porsches. No, No. I have no idea. People ask me, "Well, how's that new GTL on Porsche with the engine?" Sits over there. I have no idea. I I really don't know, and I didn't have time to look at it. And and you know, I know the guys, and like the the engineer Gary. How's it going, Gary? Good. And we would. Don't get me wrong. We, you know. Hey, how did you think the track was? Did it gain grip for you yeah. or lose grip? Yeah, it was way more understory this session. Oh, yeah, same for us. Okay, that's right. good info. But not what springs are you going to run next session. Yeah, compare anything. notes. But, yeah, you're, you're playing in a different sandbox, too. Yeah. yeah. So they're going to keep doing that. Okay. Um, uh, I'm going to, I don't know, I'm going to do Ferrari Challenge again next okay. year. I've, I've been engineering a car in Ferrari Challenge as... A couple of years now, right? Yeah. Three or four years? Three or four years. Yeah. And, and that's fun. It's... It's gentlemen drivers who are trying to get better racing competitively. So it's a teaching thing, you know, trying yeah. to teach them how to get better. Um, it's fun. It's the, the driver I have, uh, Mike Watt, is a fantastic driver. He works at it really hard. Yeah. Most of these guys are 
rookies who started racing late in life. You know, yeah. they've made their money, worked their whole life to make enough money to be able to afford cool. Ferrari Challenge. Yeah. And so there are new guys who would normally start out in, you know, a Miata someplace, and yeah. they're racing 488 Challenge cars that are really fast. I mean, they're only three seconds slower than a GT3 yeah. car, a full-out GT3 car. Yeah. So it's fun. It's fun to kind of help a guy like Mike yeah. learn the ropes and and how many and events a year or something like that. I think there are six races. That's what I thought. And yeah, then there's the World Finals weekends. every year, someplace. This year it's going to be in Bahrain. Oh, really? Uh, at the Formula One track. Which do a is lot of those cool. drivers from the U.S. go everything? A lot of them do go to the World Finals. Yeah. It actually counts as the final points paying race for the North American Championship. Okay. So there's incentive there. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So there's an Asian Championship, there's a European, and there's a North American. Yeah, I thought there was three of them. They all get together at the World Finals to pretty cool. cap off their season and race at the World That's Finals. That's pretty cool. And so it's Ferrari Challenge is fun, um, and it's 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 a different goal and a different yeah. mindset for me. So I'll do that because just because I enjoy it. Yeah. And I admit I've been spoiled the last four years getting to run Colin at a super high level. Yeah. And so I thought, well, I I, I need to find something that's that exciting and yeah. that fun, and I realize I probably won't. And yeah, ever that's again. hard. It's hard to do. So. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm still looking for something fun and exciting or different or new to do. I've had yeah. a couple offers of some things that okay. I'm kind of mulling around, uh, like the sports car racing. I love that, but uh, maybe some strategy stuff in IndyCar. Oh, cool. Um, but nothing for sure yet. I'm okay. just kind of. If you ever need like a guy to just run and get you coffee, just give me a call. <laughs> okay, he lives uh, in Indy. I okay. live here. Oh, okay, good, yeah. good. Um, good. The, what's uh, what's Colin's plans for the year? Colin just signed a deal um, with uh, Dragon Speed, which is an LMP2 team. Yep. So DPI is going to see – it's expensive to run DPI cars. I believe John it. Bennett pulling out is not just – you know, there's, there's an indicator there of what it costs yeah. and what – you know, could he afford it? Probably. But is it that much fun? Mm-hmm. Obviously not, because he's not going to do it. Yeah, JDC is losing a car. Yunkos is pulling out. Um, Action Express, big, big yeah. GM-based team, down to one car. So you've yeah. lost three or four DPI cars next year. Yeah. Um, P2 is gaining some momentum mm-hmm. because it's three quarters to half the budget of a DPI car. What was car. the highest car count in DPI this year? I think we had 11, maybe 12 yeah. sometimes. 12 never, maybe when Yukos came. Not that huge, though. Not that huge, but yeah. now we'll be down to seven next year. Yeah. That'll be it. Two Acuras, yeah. two Mazdas, and three GM yep. Cadillacs. Cadillac. So it's going to be, yeah, so P2 maybe have four cars or so. So Dragon okay. Speed, um, a team run by Elton Julian, they do a lot of international stuff. They do... Uh, the WEC, they do ELMS. Yeah. Um, hired Colin name, yeah. to do Daytona with them. And uh, the WEC WC race at Coda mm-hmm. that they just announced and Le Mans. Okay. So he'll do those three races with them and maybe some ELMS races. Okay. It depends how their ELMS program sorts out. Cool. And then Colin's been working on really hard on an IndyCar program. Oh, really? Um, there's been some quite a bit of interest. With, some, cool. with one particular team for him in IndyCar. 
that's the fact that it's been going for two months and it's not dead yeah. tells is is better than most race deals. Yeah, but it's far from being a complete. Has he ever done a, a lot of uh, open wheel <clears throat> at that level or no? Nope, Tests not at all. Or anything or no? Nope. Really, it's the 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 thing that generated interest from the IndyCar community for Colin right. was what Robert Wickens did at Schmidt. Right. Wickens came in with no IndyCar experience, sports car DTM experience. It was really yeah. his highest level. Big cars. And came in with a good understanding of fuel conservation, tire conservation, how to manage a race, a longer race, how to do right. pit stops, how to, how to go hard on new tires or save them for the end and all of that. And so people have looked at Colin in kind of the same light, maybe even with more experience. Four years in NASCAR, so he's got oval track experience. At right. least he knows that. It's not an IndyCar by any means, but it's, yeah. it's oval track experience. Cool. Um, High-speed, high-downforce prototypes right. that are not a lot slower than an IndyCar. Good example, at Mid-Ohio, the DP cars were about four seconds mm-hmm. slower than the pole for, put it this way, the pole in DPI would have qualified for the back end of the IndyCar yep. field. Crazy. No, it's it's not too far off. So they're pretty fast. Very and fast, so Colin's yeah. got that experience, high downforce, plus long race experience, how to save tires, save fuel, manage a race, right. do pit stops, setup experience. And a lot of years of it now, too. Exactly. Yeah. So and he's not like a giant dude either. So like he's right. not seven feet tall. He can nope. fit in any He car. would fit. He would fit. Yeah. Okay. So there's been two teams... Cool. Really after them, and that's, and and it takes a lot of money to do an any car thing. So, so that's so cool to see somebody even like having that potential that literally like started. He wasn't like a funded kid. No, like you guys, you guys earned it every step of the way. Yeah, we, you know, I was a race engineer. I, yeah, I, I remember when he first got a break in Pro Mazda. There was a guy who gave him a car, um, and. It was really his car, but anyway, the guy said, here, here's a car. I got, you can, you have a pro Mazda car, but you can have to figure out how to get tires and fuel and engines and a crew. And we didn't have, and so we started looking at that. I could afford to fund him in two pro Mazda races. And that was the whole budget for the year. I mean, that was my, that was when we finished. Jeff's got to retire someday. I got, (laughs) right. I can't sell the house so you can drive two races. Exactly. So... Yeah. So yeah. So he, no, that's cool. He's he's been working at it hard, and a lot of people have given him some really good breaks. Uh, Tracy Crone, initially, and then, um, you know, guys like Dan Davis at Ford, who hired him as a Ford factory driver, and then put him at Roush, and then it's just really cool to see, like, you know, that's like the aspirational dream for so many people that like, oh, they do their first track day, and they're like, yeah, and and you see so much pro racing. And not everybody got there because of talent and hard work. I mean, not to say that they're not working hard, but like money is a big part of it. Yeah, you can. It's undoubted. You can. A lot of the problems, if you could call them problems, roadblocks, like in this IndyCar Mm -hmm. thing that Colin trying to find an IndyCar ride, he can, he knows enough people and he's met enough businessmen and I don't know uh, entrepreneurs who want to be in IndyCar racing or are in IndyCar racing or racing in general that will help him a little bit with some money 
but not the eight million dollars it takes to run a full season of IndyCar. Yeah, but there are. It's only that much. Yeah, it's that's about, actually less than I thought. You can do it. Yeah, you can do okay. it. That's about the going rate. Okay, cool. But there are people. Like shockingly the, reasonable, actually. The the problem is. What a picture of being double that. Yeah. Well, yeah. no, I'm not mean, to say I'm, it's not a lot of money. I, I'm sure yeah. Penske spends more than that, but yeah. you can oh, yeah, yeah. quote buy a pretty decent ride in IndyCar for eight million bucks. Okay. I mean, just put your face on the side of the car. <laughs> you can go to. Yeah, if anybody out there listening wants to be on an IndyCar. Colin's close. He doesn't mm-hmm. need eight million bucks. He needs a little, quite a bit less than that. But uh, you could cool. you could go IndyCar racing. One of the things that um, I I love about motorsport is is how much backstory there is and how like people people think that racing is about race day and it's 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 not. There's there's so many other things that make racing really really interesting. And yeah. talking to folks like you is really where we get to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Netflix did an awesome job uh, with their like behind the scenes Formula One series, uh-huh. yeah. yep. uh, but I can imagine like you could you could do content like that for any level of motorsports and it would be captivating. It's just a different version of the same content. It's hard to go racing. It's super yeah. hard, and it's I think we we've actually talked about that as a family because Colin's brother, our other son, mm-hmm. is sixteen months younger than Colin, but he works in. Hollywood. He's yeah. a producer and a writer for Disney. Has a couple shows that he created that are currently on Disney. And I'll brag, the highest rated show on Disney right now. Very so, nice. So that's cool for him. <laughs> but Colin's always said, Travis, you need to do like, a, remember the Truth in 24? Oh, yeah. Show mm-hmm. about the Audi program yeah. at Le Mans stuff. He says, you need to do one of those for american sports car racing because people would eat that up you know the behind the scenes stuff and and start out we just talked about colin trying to do a deal with indycar racing and and i mean he's flying to meetings with people and he's the team that he's trying to work with their head marketing guy and colin are going to meet with big companies that have some interest and that colin has contacts with and yeah and Nobody sees that part of it. You see, no. like you said, race day, the driver gets in. Maybe you get to see a strategy call and understand that. Yep. But what happens to get to that point yeah, nowadays, is that's incredible. The, that's the content that people watch, too. They, so, I mean, they watch the building of, of a thing. You know? right. and, it's and, most series of it, most shows and most sitcoms, most everything. You know? it's, right. And people, uh, right? Like, episodic I, I think stuff, some yeah. of our best content coming out of grid life is stories about yeah. you know, people and how they struggle in a weekend and yep. what it takes to get to the end of the yeah. weekend. Or that that part's as cool as the racing itself. Absolutely. Sometimes it's more valuable. Yeah. It's that that reminds me of, you know, you talked about how you get there. Mm-hmm. John Bennett, the owner at Core, he was a the quick story is he when he was a kid got the racing bug like all like, yeah. all, like a lot of us have. Unfortunately, not enough kids I think nowadays get that. They'd yep. rather play their video games or whatever. But but he got the racing bug, wanted to be a racer like a lot of kids. And his parents didn't know anything about it and thought mm-hmm. it was kind of weird. And he could never, he didn't get a chance to go go-kart racing and come through that kind of a thing. So when he went to college, he was, he autocrossed and stuff when he was in high school and yeah. all of that. With his street car, his, can't remember what he had, Scirocco or something. Yeah. He tells the story great. But. He, he decided, he, okay, I got to go to college. What am I going to do? And he just took his whole career path 
in college and what he was going to study based on how he could make enough money to go race. To buy <laughs> race cars to go racing. Yeah, yeah I've I've always heard that uh, it's just kind of a joke that if you want your kids to uh, stay away from drugs and alcohol, you just get them started in racing early because mm-hmm. they won't have any money for They'll anything. Never have any money. <laughs> exactly, that's probably right. Well, and that's what John did. He's like, okay, I'm not. I didn't start when I was eight years old. I'm not going to be a professional race car driver because I have extreme talent because right. I never got to develop that. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to figure out what he ended up in the composite business, yeah. not because he had a love for composites. He looked at it, it very a new, smartly. Yeah, new business. and yeah. 15 years ago went composites. Ooh, yeah. Hmm. I bet there's there's some big future here in carbon there. fiber and military applications. And it makes sense. Started his business. He's a smart guy. Made it super successful, made enough money to go buy the race car he wanted. Right. That's how he got into racing. But there's everybody has a different story, and a as you said, yeah. those stories should be it'd be cool to tell them. So you you're not going to run DPS next year. Nope. Um, you've raced in everything. Uh, if you had a blank sheet to make a wheel to wheel series, uh, what direction would you go with it? It's funny. Colin and I talked about this. Colin wants a series, and I'm not so sure that this isn't the right thing, the answer to that. Unlimited series. Yeah. No BOP. Here's the weight. You want to make it all electric? Yeah. Fine. You want to make it hybrid? Fine. You want a 1,000 horsepower twin turbo? Fine. Right. You want an atmospheric engine? Fine. You want it to weigh... You want... Massive downforce, fine. You want yeah. straight line speed, fine. Just let's have a series like that. I yeah. uh, I talked to Adam. I said this right before we came over here. Um, I think it's 2021. Formula One is moving toward the uh, salary cap or like budget cap on expenditure. Yep. And my thought on top of that is, uh, you know, the, those those spend caps are great, but it would be awesome if you just took the rule book away and said, here's your money. Here's what you can spend and let the engineers go crazy. And I think formula to me. So my argument with, with Colin on that is it would be stupid expensive, that class. Yeah. And the racing might not be all that great. Might not be. Or but it might I, be amazing. But I think some class formula one in my mind should be that way. It should be like the America's cup of mm-hmm. boat racing. Yeah. You know, of, well, and, of and car we racing. saw over the Pure last couple of years what, yeah. right. what Porsche had done in terms of content creation with the uh, the 919 like swan song tour. Yep. It's yeah. like, oh, this car's faster than everything else on the planet. Right. Here's what happens when you take the rules away. Active aero, uh, all of yeah, the things. Hybrid that, systems, all the stuff. Right. And so think in in concept, that would be cool. I think we'd all, all as racers, we'd all like to see that. I don't know that that would actually yeah. Yeah. work. I think the real thing, to me, in reality, as much as people hate it, spec series are what's sustainable. Yeah, they yeah. are. And you look at IndyCar. Yeah. People say, well, that's not a spec series. It really is. It's pretty spec. The cars yeah. are spec. Yeah. The dampers aren't. They may fix that. They may be a spec damper. Okay. All the money is being spent in IndyCar now on damper technology. Shocks, yeah. Building your own shocks. I mean, Penske Racing builds their own. Independent of Penske shock absorbers. Ganassi builds their own. Andretti builds their own. I mean, in-house CNC machines hewing out chunks of aluminum to build their own Literally making everything themselves. Right. Yeah. They're spending millions of dollars to do that. It doesn't need to be... It doesn't make them 
they could hand them all the same shock and say, here, you got to run this. Yep. Valve it how you want. And the cost would come down and the racing wouldn't change at all. Yeah. But in reality, the engines in IndyCar are they're so close in architecture as to be the same engine. Mm-hmm. Okay, they're, they're working hard to change it, but you're not running a four-cylinder Mazda Turbo against a V8 Chevy. Yeah where it's hard to balance those. Yeah. You're running two very, very similar and, engines. And I understand the need for VOP, right? Because it's 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 critical to make racing interesting or, or fun to watch on TV, right? The cars have to be close. Yep. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, and, and Adam and I have talked about this with our Time Attack series, um, the, the builders and the engineers and, like, the really tech-heavy people... I want to see what you can do when you when you have a yeah. clean sheet, and so you know, we know um, uh, Gary uh, Cummings has been on the show a few times. Um, you know, he talks about '70s and '80s racing as like the Wild West, and yeah. everything that happened that was cool yeah. uh, was during that time because the engineers had some freedom to do some stuff. Exactly. Yeah, and I think now, so I was in those days. I ran Camel Lake cars. Uh, Gary and I raced against each other quite a bit and I have a lot of respect for him. And he's, we've talked about this together before. It's maybe a little different era now where if you let it be the wild West, you would go through that cycle that we went through before where you had take the GTP days. You had Nissan versus Toyota with, uh, you know, Porsche 962s and, and Jaguars and all of that. And then, one car dropped off because it wasn't competitive. Another dropped yeah. off because, and you ended up with two Dan Gurney Toyotas. Yeah, and and then they were, and then Toyota went. Well, we're just racing against ourselves. Let's stop. Oh. And then people had nothing. And I guess that's my thought. Why? Yeah. How you would sustain that is you just set the budget. This is what you get to spend, and you don't get to spend more. But Man. here's the problem with the, the budget. I think we'll see how it works in Formula One. But how do you? I've always said budgets are set based on what's available to spend, not what it costs. In the IRL, the first year of the IRL, you could you could win the IRL championship for two to three million dollars. This was ninety seven, the first year of the new cars. Yeah. You could win it for two or three million bucks. A couple years later, Penske came in when they kind of started to get together. Penske came in and suddenly it was $10 million or $8 million or whatever the number was, but it was double to triple. Not because motel rooms were more expensive or tires are more expensive or engines or chassis, because they had that much to spend. And they spent it on shaker rig time and development time and testing and more expensive engineers and simulation and more engineers. And and so... You can't stop that. Racers will spend all the money. Exactly. It's it's what's available to spend that sets the budget, not what it costs at that I, level. I still think you're uh, a couple shows ago when we d- you said uh, I would take away all the arrow, just take away all the arrow. <laughs> to me, that would be for for pure fun racing yeah. to watch as a spectator. I mean, the ultimate example I might have said this before to me is MotoGP. Yeah, no arrow. And wow, yeah. are they fun to watch? And they race close, wild. and they race hard, and they break, and they follow right behind each other and pop out. It's and, pretty well. And sometimes so, they fall off their bikes and get on another one and qualify some more. <laughs> like all kinds of cool it stuff. It happens. But yeah, I think from that standpoint, that would be good. I yeah. think, I think unfortunately, you know, the BOP 
does make it work because take GT classes, as you said. We can have a family Lexus racing a Lamborghini and a Porsche and a Acura, and they're all racing pretty close together. And it's all because of BOP. If it wasn't BOP, it would be clear if they just said, bring your... Bring the best car you can build. Right. Yeah. It would be cool for a while because everybody would think they could build the best car and they're all racing against mm-hmm. each other and we'd all love to watch have a that. Great off season. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then one car would quit, another car would quit, and yeah. it would be obvious that you had to have whatever the car was. The audio. Yeah, it usually something. shakes out to that. Yeah. Right. And then it would be terrible to watch right. again. So I, I understand BOP. I just think if they could make it more spec so that they didn't have to have such a diverse you know, we'll see how DPI plays out right. because after in two more years, mm-hmm. the new cars come out and they're talking about hybrid. Yeah. And like a, one and, more thing to monitor. <laughs> or and, and do people really care about hybrid cars anymore? It seems like that's pretty old. They don't even build. No, Nobody even builds electric, hybrid yeah. cars. Right. I yeah. saw four Teslas on the way here and we only walked across the street. Yeah. So we're going to race yeah. hybrid cars in two years. Who cares? I yeah, mean, it's weird. We'll see the manufacturers don't care. Racing's hard. Well, but I, I think the, the tricky part about hybrids and endurance racing is it's a kind of a critical component. You can't electrify, practically, you can't electrify a 24-hour race series. It's almost impossible. Full electric. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, you couldn't. So, like, You'd be swapping I, cars that's your, out That's your balance, yeah. right? And I, I guess yeah. this year I just started trying to watch some Formula E, and there's, there's some pros and cons about how they set things up, but... Yeah. Uh, what really stood out to me was I looked at manufacturer support and they have more manufacturer support than they've ever had with yeah. five teams going all in on Formula E. And it's Absolutely. like, well, you know, Formula One kind of has to figure out this model because if that's where the investments are going, um, you're going to get great racing there soon. Because I just want to see Formula E on real racetracks. That's with real tires. Yeah. Right? The, the problem yeah. is I, I know some people, some engineers that are involved in Formula E. Yeah. And... For me, I watch it on TV. No, I don't watch it on TV. I watch it a little bit, and uh, it's just—it's not exciting for me. Well, but yeah. the track is yeah. too narrow, and like you can't pass, and qualifying is everything, and like, mm-hmm. and they put them on a real track because some of these engineers that I talk to, they go testing at, you know, wherever Brands Hatch because it's right. out the back door, and they say, you know, there'll be a. A Formula Three car or a Formula Four car out running, and the Formula Three cars just smoke them. They're way right. faster. So the cars are not fast, and they look really lame. On That's a why they're doing track. them on well, yeah, and, tight and street courses. So huh? We can talk about strategy for why Formula E wants to do what it wants to do, but I guess, I mean, you get the battery charge, mm-hmm. right? If if the cars are slow, it's because the race is too long. That's all right. it is, right? Like you give them the power to go fast, but make the race twenty minutes, right? Um, yeah. Because the thing the, is, I think, uh, yeah, I don't. It's. I can see why all the manufacturers are in it because it's relevant to what they're building for the street uh, and they're going to build too, for the yeah. street. Yeah, and that makes perfect sense. We have to ask, I think, in racing, does it always have to be relevant? Does IMSA, DPI, or GT have to be relevant to the to the street cars? Yeah. Does it? I'm not sure that that's the answer. Well, we we watch is, a lot of things that aren't. You know, we'll watch um, sports that aren't relevant. If you yeah. had, if you had 
perfect example would be top fuel drag racing. Yeah, it's not, not relevant, relevant at all. to anything. But top holy is crap, is it fun to watch? Magnific- uh-huh. In person, it is the most magnificent form of racing. Yeah, ever. absolutely. Especially like your chest to hurt. Oh, absolutely. Oh <laughs> I've, I did. I yeah. was involved in a. He's top done that fuel too. Drag team. Yeah, <laughs> I, I did that. I did two years of top fuel drag racing. Yeah, and it's it's a spectacle. Yeah, it's not relevant at all. But it, manufacturers are in it. Yeah. They, they want their branding on their funny car and stuff like that. Yeah. So, so maybe DPI could just be like the, the like top the, fuel of sports car or something. Right. Like that. The Audi with adjustable wings and the front splitter yeah. adjusts as you come into a corner and the more fans and, and, like suck the car to the ground, just go as fast yeah. as you want. Whatever. Or chaparral and, stuff. Yeah. And just make it yeah. or go the other way. Make them thousand horsepower and no downforce. Yeah, and watch these guys back him into the corner and come yeah. off the corner with smoke coming well, off. Well, but the thing. you're kind of getting at, uh, I think, a key point. And at that point, racing is is entertainment. So let's really make it entertaining. Exactly. Yeah. And now, who cares if it's yeah. relevant? Yeah, you can lose sight of that pretty fast uh, as even a tiny sanctioning body like us. Like, really, your what's your end product? It could be like entry fees and getting the programs for your drivers to be sustainable and whatever, but like you're still an entertainment company, you know, you guys are coming to your races cause they yeah. would rather be entertained by driving their car yeah. in a time attack or wheel to wheel with yeah. other people than they would watching a football, football game, game that weekend or yeah. something. So. Yep. So um, we, we talk about it all the time. We think our primary product, at least trackside, is what we sell is fun. Yes. Yeah, yeah, smiles that, and fun. That is what we sell. And, Racing is too expensive to justify if you're not having any fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the, and I think when you're doing it like your customers are doing it, or as a spectator, you want to watch something that is fun. Yeah. And it does, I don't think, I think there's a place for relevancy. You know, Formula Mm -hmm. E, that's good. Manufacturers involved, and and that's a place to develop technology and, and, and show your. You know, Porsche can show that their electric car is better than than Peugeot's or whatever, yeah. whoever it is, yeah. which is cool. But top fuel drag racing is fun to watch, and it nobody cares whether yeah. it's relevant. Yeah, and it doesn't take three hours to watch it. You just four seconds at a right. time. Yeah. I really like it. Yeah. So I got an idea. This is something I've been trying to promote for a long time. Nobody ever listens. But I love your 15-minute sprint race yeah. idea. That is so Yeah, because like every awesome. other sprint race I ever did was way too long. I thought, man, I wish this was only 15 minutes. Guess uh, what? Everybody else said that, too. I, I <laughs> need to come and, did it. I think it, I need to come and watch some of your races. Cause we we yes. have an event at Coda in February. Nobody just yeah. is like, well, I'm just waiting for a good opportunity. It's now. No. The opportunity you, is right? this lap. You got and, a banger, and, and it's right now. a lot. Uh, what is it? Usually four races over the weekend. And so the winner four is or five, yeah. the, the, the person who does the best overall. It's but, a mini championship um, inside the weekend. That's the, awesome. The races are short enough so that the car's not burning down the whole time, right? It's just, yeah. a, you know, get in, get out. And, and we've kind of noticed that our drivers, it's almost too much track time for them where they're just yeah. like, oh, my God, it's exhausting. Yeah, <laughs> because everything awesome. is intense. You don't get a rest. The intensity level, like up and down, up and down. Like it's an emotional wear on them more than like, oh, my tires are burned down. My brake pads are gone. Like it's too much of the thrill of the start and the thrill of the checker. Right. Uh, so that's kind of what we wanted to do. If, like they don't want to do more than four. We did five at Mid-Ohio. They, too much. They, yeah, the, the last race, like the... <laughs> One of the guys on my rules committee is like, it was, our, it was our first race weekend ever at Mid-Ohio in April last year. And it was live streamed and everything. And I'm up in, I'm commentating on it on the live stream. And I get a text from Katil and he says, uh, 
dude, we're not doing five anymore. It's too much. Too I much. can't do it. <laughs> and I, Gary is in race control, and he's like, and I told him that, and he's like, man, tell those guys to run the 24-hour. Unbelievable. Can't handle it can't for 15, 15 minutes race. four times. <laughs> so here's my concept. We'd have thrown them out of Porsches uh, real fast back in the day. I, I've always thought it should. this is my concept was for NASCAR. When Colin was doing NASCAR, those races yeah. were too long. And now that he's not in NASCAR, yeah. I don't watch it anymore because they're too long. Pretty long, yeah. And so I always thought. They're literally doing like intermissions in them now. Yeah, they have the stages or segments or whatever yeah. they call them. Yeah. Here, here, here's my thought. You start 40 cars. Right. 10 laps in, the 40th car gets black flagged, goes to the trailer. Okay. 20 laps in. Knock them out. The last place car gets black flag, goes to the trailer. Yeah. So every 10 laps, the fans have a do or die. They're watching the back of the pack, too. The last yeah. two cars yep. are yep. racing. That's very cool. Like, like it's the last lap of the yeah. Daytona 500 for the win. Because if you're not, if you can't beat that guy, yeah. you're getting put on the trailer. And you get down to the last 10 laps of the race, there's two cars left on the track. Just battling. That'd be pretty rad. That's a good idea. Yeah. That's pretty rad. I mean, you see a little bit of that you know, Formula One qualifying, and they, they took something that was kind of boring, and they made it exciting because it's mm-hmm. they're just stakes added, right? Yeah. Yep. And I, I think that NASCAR format would be super cool. Yeah. So, because then, then I started thinking about if I had that race as a strategist race engineer, let's say you had a... Where do you want to be? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, like if you're, I don't know... A top NASCAR. If you're a top driver, and you know you're not going to be fighting in the first ten segments for that last place spot, what do you do? Do you go fast? Do you go slow? Do you save yeah. your tires? Do you conserve and then work your way up from the right. mid pack? And then you have to kind of plan it out. Where okay, now we're a hundred laps in. Yeah. Now I'm I'm about ready to be in that do or die situation. Yeah. So 50 laps in, do I need to get new tires so I got better tires <laughs> than the guy who's going to be right behind me or do I wait? Yeah. I don't know. I just because kind of, then somebody you watch an NFL game. I've been going to some NFL games watching them and I it dawned on me that every 3 downs there is now a critical time that all the fans are like, yeah. is he going to get that first down or not? Right. It's like, right. oh, oh, he didn't. Yeah. And then then maybe there's a first down, second down, a run. And then yeah. two minutes later, it's like, oh, oh, we had to turn it over. Yeah. There's always something. You're on the edge of your seat the entire time. Just, oh, it's a, too much. It's a lot of, I mean, and you can respect that as a motorsport and they, they're trying to change things. That's a great freaking idea though. Yeah. Okay. You <laughs> I can, love that idea. You're welcome to it. It's free for anybody who thinks yeah. it's a good idea. But. Maybe the last place GLTC car uh, gets black flagged uh, every lap. <laughs> Just yeah. knock them out. Yeah. Can you imagine yeah. how. It'd be a cool way to do an enduro though. Yeah, do a 30 would. lap enduro with 30 cars. Last yeah. guy. Uh, every lap. The last place guy gets black flagged. Yeah. That's a great idea actually. You could. You could do it as a, instead of forcing the people, you could offer it as a, uh, a special race, and you yeah. could enter yeah, it super for special, super and it, special, and it could be so announceable too. Yeah, like you could. And we so do relatable. it at night, obviously. Oh yeah. yeah, we did. We did one GLTC race at night in the rain in October. Awesome. Oh, it was insanity. Man. Awesome. Uh, but yeah, super sprint races are fun. I'm. Uh, I'm. St- 
I know we hit something with that. Uh, that that's like the thing that everybody's like, that's different because nobody does that in club racing. They're doing twenties and forties and thirties, or seven hour enduros or eight hour enduros. Uh, yeah, I was like, I don't want to drive that long. Let's just do bangers. So, know? do those guys? Uh, are they bolt new tires on for every fifteen minute? No, race? a lot of them are. Uh, they're running a set throughout the weekend, and they just run them up to five, six heat, heat cycles, and then they become the, the scrubs for the, for okay. the next race. And a lot I of them are doing two great. to four sets of tires throughout the whole season. They're not. Oh wow! Uh, it's not burning the tires down as much. They're just heat cycling them out more than anything. Right. Right. Um, and if you if you rotate gently and strategically, you can get. You know, good good pace Hoosiers or BFGs throughout the whole season for what a concept. Budget. You guys so are what, on to something. We had talked to over a few people. Basically, just said they will use, on average, over the course of the year, it's about one pair of tires a weekend. So two. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so you've kind of factored that out. Over but the if years, you keep like, them rotating through your stock sure. and you're bringing twelve tires total through to the to the racetrack. Uh, you can not. And they're, they're, they're a DOT type tire, right? It's a DOT, like a Hoosier R7, Hoosier. Uh, okay, so it's not a race tire that's wore out fast. No, not I mean, a, the not performance slick, doesn't yeah. really drop off much. No, like a half a second total, maybe, on a DOT like that. In the 200 treadwear category, like they don't drop off, really. Yeah. Uh, most of those don't. So people, you can get a whole season out of that's them if awesome. you wanted to. That's um, awesome. And we're trying to find that balance where, because those tires are a couple, on the same car, they're a couple seconds a lap slower. So do the, those cars run a little lighter? They can run a little bit more power, and it's all just in tables. And you know, it. Uh, so one of the things that we've also seen that I think is really cool is, um, like, to get a car to the pointy end uh, is pretty accessible, right? And yeah. the formula is pretty close to 200 horsepower, 2,600 pounds. There, they're about most of um, the most of the cars at the pointy end. They're on stock junkyard engines. But, oh, really? Yeah. But to oh. be on the podium, you also have to be like. An, Ace behind you got to be an animal, yeah, which is what we want, right? Yeah, we we really, uh, I've I've said racing is about what people do, not what the cars do. I mean, the cars are cool. Don't get me wrong; a lot of people like to come to the race and go, "Wow, that car is really cool." Mm -hmm. But at the level where you're competing, you know, you can go to a Formula One race and look at the car, go to a IMSA race and look at the car and think that it's cool. But most of us aren't going to race those cars. We yeah. can't. We can't drive them ourselves. Even you got a spec Miata, right? Exactly. Yeah, uh, that we, I can. We, drive. Had a, we had a bunch of spec Miatas run with us this year, and one of them even did. He just did, he bought an eBay turbocharger. Okay, and just bolted it onto the back of the car with its own oil system, just to make just enough power, and ran right at the front. Just yep. a cheap spec Miata, home, homemade aero, just change a few things. And, that's perfect. But it's uh, about yeah. the driver. Yeah. in your series, which is what it should be. I mean, yeah. that's a. People, I'm sure we'll ruin it, just like every other series has its problems. Uh, I'm not so sure. I need to come to. I need to come to one. But, if, if I don't have a, uh, if I'm just doing Ferrari challenges, I have some weekends yeah. off. I need to pop we'll in one of those. We're in February, the, we're going to be in Austin at Coda. We're a support series for a Time Attack event at Coda. Oh, really? Uh, so that'll be that's only four, five February, hours from February home. fifteen sixteen. So, uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, it it's it's going pretty I, well. I think so. it's awesome. I think you guys are doing that's to me that's what's going to keep racing the interest in the racing biggest, the biggest reason i wanted to do it is we have we have these big festival events we've had them for a bunch of years where we have a lot of spectators they're there for the music component at the night at night they're there to see the drift cars mm-hmm. uh time attack is like pretty spectator friendly but like you don't know what car is winning it all looks like qualifying right right um and, I and wanted, that's, it's just one car 
on the track at time a time, attack or is do you like send them? Fifteen cars staggered by pace, so they all spread out, and so they're just doing qualifying. But you can't pass like. anybody. No, it's open passing a time attack, but usually you don't because oh, okay. the fastest car goes out, and the slowest car in your group goes in the back. Got it. But uh, that's not as interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's a cool technical exercise at the club race level. Sure. Um, but drifting's fun to watch. It's you know, like, oh, Smoky. you know what that guy's doing. Right. Right. Uh, and I I come from like the wheel to wheel background. I raced with SCCA and raced Lemons cars and Chump and Champ now whatever. But uh, uh, I thought. You know, when you're when you're at like a race weekend, club race weekend, there's what five six classes in each run group, right? Uh, so it's harder to say, okay, is that VW racing that Miata or is that right. Miata in that other Miata class? Right. You know, like I thought, I want all those cars to be in one class. That's awesome. And like my wife, she would come to a race and she'd be like, eh, thirty minutes, it's kind of boring. You know, yeah. I'm gonna go to the bathroom. I'm right. gonna get a hot dog. Uh, but fifteen minutes, fourteen minutes, flag to flag, it's whatever, perfect. like. That's just, like, what's a what's a sitcom? Twenty two minutes, right? Like you don't want to be too much longer than that, right? Uh, what's it? You look at the YouTube, like the average watch lengths, it's like 10, 15 minutes, minutes. right? Um, so we so. did GRC at Core, yeah, Rallycross, yes, and yeah. same similar concept. Yep. Those races were Bangers. the final yep. lasted eleven minutes, yep. and the heat races were eight minutes. Yes, perfect. That's, that that was, that was a big inspiration. Uh, I didn't watch much GRC until. Uh, I started watching recaps after I thought after I found out that you were you guys were doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked to you on a I think it was on a phone in podcast about yep. about uh, GRC stuff, and like and all of a sudden you find yourself watching the whole race right. versus like you pull up a you're not going to watch a replay of the 24 hour. No way. You ain't got time. No way. But you got time to watch that eight minutes of those cars banging into each other on exactly. a dirt course. Exactly. Um, and that was so. the same thing with GRC when that those lights went out. Yeah. There was no. I mean, Colin was like. There's no setting a guy up. Yeah. If there's a micro possibility of yeah. maybe an opening, yeah. you went for it. No, GRC cars don't back off. Right. It's pedal to the metal, yeah. go for it every time. Which is time. what you guys so. got in your series. Yeah. I think it's, you're so on it. You're, that's, don't, don't, I well, wouldn't change that. Kind of lucked awesome. into it, but I've been listening to people like you talk about racing for a while. So. Yeah. Well, I think um, I got to come to Jeff to build a car. Yeah. Well, he just gave away a spec Miata. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's still available. Well, maybe it, maybe available. it should come. Yeah, well, um, we, maybe we should do that. Uh, the uh, yeah, we appreciate your time, man. We're in this thing for a while. So. Uh, it's no problem. Um, I, you know, we're talking about racing. It's, uh, you got any uh, other big plans? You staying the whole weekend here? Or? Um, yeah, I got some other meetings with some people. Okay. Uh, go check out, talk to a couple shock shock guys. Uh, Jeff Ryan, yeah. who has uh, JRI, is a good friend. Okay. I'll go yeah. see him and see some other. See some other people, but it's it's. I, I thought about this. I've been coming to this show since it was in Columbus. Mm-hmm. I think twenty three years you ago. Said it was like a one room show ago. then, right? Yeah, it was not big. Yeah, it was not big. So I don't know why exactly I keep coming every year, but I just do. Yeah. And when I leave, I go, "Oh, that was worth it for Glad some I went, yeah. reason." Yep. So. I'm glad it's, we could connect. We uh, it's always fun. We got a few stops to make before it closes. I'm not coming tomorrow, so we got to talk to a few companies. But well, I'll let you guys uh, go. I'm glad. I'm glad we had time for you, man. Anytime. So I mean, I'm glad you had time always. for us. I'm glad we could work it out. No, no, so. no. Anytime. Last year it didn't work out because you were leaving early and I was leaving early, and something we yeah. just bissed each other. Yeah. yeah. So it's uh, you know at least let's do it once a year here. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, for sure. I can look it up on the internet. I yeah. need to come to one of your races because I think you guys I'll, are I'll doing. I'll show you the, the website. It'd well, be awesome. It'd it, be uh, it, it it's been a it's been a crazy year. Uh, we did we did too many events, but like uh, talking to people this last couple of days, like uh, SEMA doesn't do much as far as like 
energizing me for racing again. Yeah. Uh, it's a hot slog and there's too many people, but like, I'm like totally excited about 2020. That's all great. of a sudden, like in the last 12 hours. That's great. <laughs> so, That's uh, great. Yeah. We need more. I think what you guys are doing is fantastic, and you got to show it to people who don't even know it exists. And, too. And that's where I was yeah. going to go. Where I was going? How do we get younger? Heck, okay. I didn't grow up in a racing family. My yeah. dad was an insurance. He owned an insurance agency with five or six people, a small yeah. insurance agency, and he was he liked cars. I mean, he had a Corvette and yeah. stuff like that, but but he wasn't a racer. We went to Road America and watched the races, and wow, that was really cool. And I got involved in, we got a go-kart, and we went yep. karting and stuff. Yep. But I wanted to build my own car and modify my car right. and make it better. Kids don't do that. I, there's a they lot do. of kids. They do. They do, really? They do. We got a, our, our, our age demographic is like... 18 to 34. Really? Yeah, we got the youngest paddock in the country, in the planet, probably. Well, that's uh, I, they do that's exist. encouraging. They exist. And, because uh, I see these guys who are like, well, I don't even care about a driver's license. I'll just Uber. I think the it's biggest like, thing that is, uh, the biggest couple things that are like building the next generation of automotive enthusiasts is like Instagram. Like they, they see like cool pictures and all of a sudden the yeah. algorithm, algorithm is bombarding them with racing stuff. Really? Uh, and uh, yeah, like, uh, YouTube, like look at, I mean, there's still, that audience is out there. Well, and I think uh, probably what is cool, there's probably... Even if you're not a super mechanical geek, yeah, the thrill of driving a race car and feeling the G-forces and the speed yeah. and all of that stuff is cool for anybody. Any yeah. human would like that. It's like a roller coaster. Once you coaster. do it, it's the first hit. It's the one that bites it usually. If and it's you, guys, get you. you guys are making that accessible. Where yeah. back in my day, if you wanted to do that, you had to get a car get it approved, have some SCCA guy go over it with a fine-tooth comb, find eight things that were wrong yeah, with and it. And then go to the once-a-year driver school. Driver school, yeah. and then eight regionals, and then maybe they'll give you a license. And yeah. it was just too hard. Yeah. Now, uh, every one of our GLTC wheel-to-wheel races, we have a comp school built into it, so it's a low barrier of entry. Nice. If, if they're advanced or time attack level drivers, uh, it's like separate classroom, some exit drills, make sure you can get out of the car without banging your head and all that. Uh, but uh, yeah, the barrier of entry is uh, it's it's relatively low nowadays for even most sanctioning bodies like SCCA and uh, yeah. like Chump and Lemons. You don't even need a license usually. You just right. Gotta like be vouched for basically. Right. Uh, go to their classroom. Like yep. it, it's lower than it ever it's ever been, which is good. I mean, it's awesome. The people that want to do it, it's not this intimidating thing like it even was twenty years ago. So we need that. Uh, we need the we yeah. need the younger I think, kids. I think to, it'll keep going for a while. That's good. Yeah, well, you guys are doing like. Doing a good uh, job on that. Um, yeah, we appreciate you coming on, man. No I problem. Hope, uh, cross our fingers for uh, for Colin's efforts this year. Yeah, yep. Yeah, I'll so. we'll see how it goes. He's do that sports car thing. Maybe the IndyCar thing happens. Maybe not. I don't know. You know. Well, at least he's are. got something, some cool stuff to do. So. Yeah, he does, and he'll be still doing the SRO, TC PC. He's he'll be there with with DXDT driving the McLaren. Okay. Or not McLaren, the um, Mercedes. Yeah. Mercedes. I think uh, I think our dude Gary, I mean, Gary has worked with us at Gridlife for a bunch of years. We met him at Road Atlanta when he was the track manager yep. of sorts yep. there. They have a lot of track managers there. But, yeah. Um, yeah, he's going to be, I think, the head of competition, the competition director for SRO next year. Oh, that's so. good. Uh, and, he gets, and he's going to dink around with me for a couple of events too. So. That's awesome. <laughs> but, That's awesome. Yeah, we, really uh, we have a bunch of friends that, are, that race in that series, race in IMSA. Uh, but... Uh, 
yeah, good to see him running around, man. It's that's, cool. That's uh, that's a cool, busy life. So. Yeah, I'll um, let you guys go to your next one. All right, man. Sounds have good. A, have a good day. Thank Thanks you very so much. much. Slip Angle was created by Austin Cabot and Adam Jubay, co-hosted by Derek Yarbrough and production by Abram Schmucker, who mixes all of our terrible audio. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes and come and find us in the Pits at Grid Live to say hello.